0: Every day we hoistle in a Pilots and Pitards podcast.
1: Welcome back, Hoisters, Pilots and Petards podcast, the podcast with nothing much ado about airplanes, but potentially everything ado with the first episode of a filmic series.
0: Yep, and just to let you guys know, here's a quick disclaimer uh petards is a word a real word a non-discriminatory word it means bomb so we're wondering if these pilots blew themselves up uh i am drew i am the pragmatic cyclops of this podcast and this is jimbo your existentialist
1: anti-millennial kenny of the podcast becoming the norm now we have uh the magical miss mo is awol mo if you're out there holla we'd like to know that you know you're doing okay we love you mo we have two parts of the show now. First part, we're gonna analyze and focus on just the pilot as a piece of art in the filmic TV shows. Yep, TV shows. And then the second part, we're gonna dive in a little deeper into some some topics that we find interesting and worth discussing. Hoisters, you need to get out there and thank Fitzgerald Engineering for this ad-free listening. If you own a business or have a very cool idea and you would like to sponsor a show, contact us. And our listeners would appreciate some more ad-free listening. Awesome.
0: So join us today as we cast judgment and determine if the new superhero young adult drama, Cloak and Dagger, will be hoisted or not hoisted. That is the question. And Jimbo, you found some real interesting stuff in the background. So why don't you lead us off?
1: This story has its origins back in the 1992 or 1982-83. The creator... Mantlo, the the creator, had visited Ellis Island, and he was inspired by the Island of Tears, which is a term that has to do with the people who were rejected from Ellis Island. And so for a good 30 years, Ellis Island was like the mecca of immigration in America.
0: Jimbo, you work on Ellis Island too, so that's very cool.
1: I'm actually working at the Statue of Liberty, but it is affiliated with, with Ellis Island.
0: And uh, so Mentlo. I'm going to call him Barry, Barry Mentlo.
1: There we go. It's not
0: his name, but it's okay. It's Um, not. (laughs) He he kind of created these two characters originally to be kind of Spider-Man sidekicks, but they were very much created at the height of the war on drugs. And so their powers were activated by a form of mutated heroin. And so in their original incarnation, they were very much drug-related superheroes. Drew,
1: why don't you hit us with a two-sentence summary? Gotcha.
0: So Tyrone and Tandy both experience tragedy at a young age that affects them and connects them both on one fateful night. Many years later, they reconnect and find that they aren't just connected by the events of that night. They also have extraordinary abilities that they must learn to control before it's too late. Should you give this thing a watch or give a steaming pile of crap? Well, find out with us. So Jimbo, what were your impressions of this pilot? I'll just start
1: off. I thought this was a very safe and mediocre pilot. Not really any high highs for me. Not really any low lows. Just kind of like, ugh.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think that there's like this kind of fundamental issue with superhero TV shows. in that in a superhero comic book, you will hopefully get like two-thirds battle scenes and like one-third dialogue. You know, for like your average comic. Whereas in a TV show, they kind of got to like save their money And, you know, they only get to use that cool special effects once in a while. Cloak and Dagger is very much that show. It's very heavy on talking and setting up some things. Way less heavy on actual power usage or interesting things happening. I don't know, Jimbo, did anything stand out to you? Like, was anything pulling your attention in?
1: No, actually. I I would say way too much exposition. Like, not necessarily exposition dumping, but just... It was a whole episode of exposition. We do get Dagger finally killing the the rapist dude at the very end, but that, that took kind of way too much time to get to. And then also to jump back to their or- origin stories, these two were both like vigilantes. They were people whose characters were completely cool with killing drug dealers. And then they kind of were also juxtaposed with the Punisher So their first origin is like violent vigilantes, which I think I was expecting to see in this first episode. And so right off the bat, I was disappointed having read their background before I watched the show.
0: The show made a choice to focus, I think, more on environmental justice and issues than necessarily like the drug trade. And I think that's like kind of softening the show, although I was surprised to see some drug use on the former ABC family. I was like, oh, snap. And there was a sex scene, but still... Not very exciting, even though those things are kind of interesting in and of themselves.
1: Yeah, and even and even to go back to call to action, as, as we discussed a decent amount last week, their call to action kind of incorporated like the three things that we talked about. You have con- overwhelming conspiracy, you have weird scientific justification, and then you have the loss of a close family member. Like they hit. Like, they hit all three of the calls to action that we kind of discussed, What which ones we hated and didn't hate last week. And this show just kind of compiled the three most generic call to actions altogether. And that definitely was a miss
0: for me. I mean, if there's a high point, um, it's nice that there's a diverse cast that we're seeing. Um, you know, like the protagonists and the leads, neither of whom are like a white dude, which seems to dominate the rest of network television. So that gives me hope for representation later, but, uh, man, yeah, this is, this is a, a basic pilot, which tells you what you need to know for the rest of the series. And I guess if you're so inclined, it would intrigue you, but I mean, we're kind of inundated with superhero stuff right now. So you have other options. I would say it was, it was so slow. I was taking notes in
1: the, in the first opening scenes. I wrote slow start and then I checked the time. It was like half the pilot was over and I wrote very slow start. Like like the show still hadn't started for me. It just takes a really long time. And, and I would say it still hasn't started. The, I mean, even after watching the whole pilot, the show hasn't started yet. It's still kind of building background and characters and setting the scene. It does It does develop the conflict, but it didn't need to take that long. The conflict could have very easily been spliced together in five
0: to ten minutes. Yeah, they could have gotten to things more quickly. They they made a choice, which sometimes I support, sometimes I don't. But they decided to intercut the origins of young Cloak and Dagger with older Cloak and Dagger. It just wasn't as effective. Um, I think they had too much modern and not enough past. And then they kind of, like, had a big chunk of past early and then didn't keep it consistent enough for me. So, I mean, that's a choice that some... Storytellers make, and sometimes I like it. you know it's cool to kind of learn things as you go. Uh, we talked about that a little bit with this is us, but this show, I don't think did it very effectively.
1: no well cool.
0: um those are some mid points for the most part, and some low points, but Jimbo, you want to jump into a crab band award?
1: I'm going to mention one more thing. get in there. I like to pay attention to the song lyrics, and the song lyrics did stand out for most of the songs used, and so I thought that was cool. The first song was kind of a slow song and it was looking for love was like the key lyrics that stood out and that and then that's when the kids found each other after their their tragic losses of their family and then the second song they're like older and one one of the lyrics had to do with being lost and then the third song comes in and it has to do with breaking the rules and then that shows you know the chicks out stealing and the kids getting into a fight so so i i thought the music was was adding to their story well in the first part of the episode that was something worth worth noting.
0: Jimbo, it, it escapes me. Was this one of those shows that didn't have opening credits? It just kind of showed the banner of the tease. Did I even miss that? Did you notice?
1: You know, I don't focus on credits at all. Uh-huh. I don't remember any. I definitely don't remember any. That's not a good sign. So, yeah, if they were in there, they were very forgettable. I kind of feel like they weren't there. I mean, I had watched it on Hulu, so I'm not I think Hulu uses whatever would have been played right
0: yeah and now that I think about it I think they showed the cloak and dagger emblem at the very very end at the close so this might not have even had opening credits now I think about it this is what I think they
1: should have done they should have started closer to cloak and dagger being a tandem and maybe being in some type of conflict together as as like a superhero duo and I want to see more of those rough edges of them being violent vigilantes And then them like growing together and coming together and deciding that that they're more for justice, but definitely like needing each other and having a better connection in that opening episode. I mean, the connections there, but it's just like it's more confusion and the viewers just kind of waiting to see, like, what's going on with these two. And you're kind of just waiting the
0: whole episode. Yeah, And they dance around a lot of things too. Like they definitely like have some cool concepts and some cool ideas they're laying out. There's some interesting visuals.
1: Like what? What did you think about interesting visuals? Because cause I kind of felt the opposite.
0: The two kids in the car, the lighting, and the way that they end up at the place they were. We don't have to go super into detail, but I thought that the crash itself had some very interesting visuals and left me with some questions. Um, and then my MVP does also talk about some visuals of the show. So. I think they had a nice toolbox. I just think they weren't using those tools effectively.
1: I think they probably did a good job with their budget this 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 was not a a high budget episode and and they did make you know the the small effects they had i mean they definitely made work, so I'm not gonna say that's a low point it did It didn't stand out to me, but it i mean if 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 you saw that then then it was definitely there. It wasn't a lame pilot either it wasn't it wasn't like buffy cheesy. Crappy filming. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of in the middle. This would be like a good like middle pilot
0: spoiler. <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be interesting for us to. I think we're gonna have a nice discussion on hoisting and not hoisting. I haven't made my my mind up yet, but um, easy. <laughs> With that being said, Jimbo, um, do you want to tell our new viewers about our Crabman Award?
1: Hey, girl. hey, Crabman! New hoisters. This is the part of the show where we give a crab award. To a character, usually within a very small role, that is giving way more than they are taking. Typically, small amount of screen time.
0: And Drew, I didn't see a Crab Man.
1: What are you thinking?
0: I do have a Crab Man, and this is not a spectacularly impressive role, but it's an important role in the show. And I was going to guess Ty's brother. No. Okay. He had an interesting role, too, and... That kind of tugged at my heartstrings a little bit. Maybe I should have seen where that was going. But I actually thought the chief of police who talked to Ty's family, um, it's a very slow burn because he says some things that, you know, we are really meant to understand and meant to believe. And then the rest of the show kind of cast them in doubt. So usually a show could be heavy handed when you don't want to trust a character or when you don't want to believe a character, like they might give some signal. But um, the episode played him so straight.
1: Yeah because as the parent, I mean you see you have a you have a young boy who you see on camera stealing a radio. And then just the you know the fallibility of memory for anyone not not even just like a little kid. So it's very easy to just be like okay, he made that up and him and his brother were out causing problems. So I feel like not being African American, but Afri- African Americans are going to be way more skeptical of police officers. And it seemed like the parents weren't, which I think for most viewers watching, you would be like, yeah, like you're not going to believe the, your, your son that just stole a radio over the cops. But I feel like if you are African American, you might still be like, yeah, like my son's missing. And my other son is saying that he was shot by cops. Like I, I feel like they accepted that way too easily with their background.
0: I agree. And I mean, when you say like there's discord generally between like african americans and police you know i mean there's rough history like not just like current history but like civil rights history too and you're right it does seem like the parents kind of accepted things even before they saw the video surveillance of their son so i think the fact that there was no body kind of played into that but even still like coming back around on that later i come back to that scene and how straight they played it
1: i had a little difficulty um accepting that But I guess with the role reversal, I mean, Ty's family is the middle class family. So Mm -hmm. if you're a middle class family, you also, I think, are more are more accepting of the system. Yeah, the
0: system for sure. When the system works for you, you know, you believe in the system. But that's the issue with like a lot of African-Americans who have to deal with police and like who are not benefiting from the system. Why would you buy into something? Why would you believe in something that's not doing its job for you? And so you're right. I think maybe portraying Tyrone's family as like more middle class would make it easier for them to accept the police's explanation.
1: Yeah, because they have they have a nice house that seems to there's there's really nothing that stands out about their school or their environment that that throws any red flags or anything like that. Yeah. Well, you're starting to sway me on the police chief being being a crab man. I would say he's not a strong crab man. I could have maybe gone for, for Ty's brother too. If the show would have just not drawn at it so much and mm-hmm. kind of taken so long to, to get cloak becoming cloak, but
0: this show could have been 20 minutes. This could be a half this, hour action. Yes.
1: Yes. They, they could have had a 20 minute pilot with a cliffhanger ending. Yeah. And I would watch the next one.
0: All right. By dual consent the police chief from cloak and dagger is the Crabman. man all right so jimbo um let's jump into our mvps and i feel a little bit strongly about my mvp because again this is kind of a middle of the road pilot but this i thought was clever and this i thought was cool but um man cloak's power especially was super visually interesting and i think it was also very clever filmmaking by the directors which part when he falls asleep and just wakes up somewhere else, like when he like covers himself up and he just ends up somewhere else. Like that is it. a, it's an easy edit, you know, so you're not spending any money on CGI. B it is like disconcerting as hell. You know, like what if every time you went to sleep, you woke up in a really weird place. Like that to me was interesting and intriguing and compelling. And I think it was, I think that was the strongest part of the pilot was just cloak and his powers and the weird stuff that happened with it.
1: I would say it was a missed opportunity as well. How so? It was cool the uh, second time he ends up with the crooked cop. And that's what we like needed to see. And I wish it would have been him and, and Dagger together. And they should have killed that guy in the first episode. Or at least if not killing him, like killing someone related to him and getting the ball moving.
0: Or they really could have killed Dagger's rapist right person. Like she should have killed with him next to her that would have like been interesting more so than where they're at now.
1: Yeah. More so than like two lost souls that just kind of keep bumping into each other.
0: Yeah. That's super unlikely and kind of weird. And like new Orleans is not a small town. Cause they were supposed to be in New York
1: city. And I kind of just assumed for no reason. Cause it definitely, now that I recall there was definitely not New York city.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wasn't, <laughs> I noticed it on a thing or two. And I also did a little research, but yeah, cloaks power I thought was, interestingly used and daggers power we only saw it a tiny bit and not necessarily the light show but the blade that was kind of cool and believable i like that technology has kind of caught up with superheroes you know like there's definitely overuse of cgi in some cases like i do not like um, avengers 2 age of ultron for that specific reason but that was cool. Like when Cloak or when Dagger like uses her actual light dagger that didn't look crappy, that didn't look cheesy, I was kinda like, interesting, you know, so I liked how they did that one too. But Cloak's power was much better used and much better shown. What was your MVP, Jimbo?
1: Yeah, this is a very soft MVP. You know, I'm kinda I'm I'm kinda reaching as as I mentioned, nothing really stood out to me. But the one thing that I did appreciate was that it captured teen conflicts a lot better than our other teen shows. We have two teens that are both struggling, and I see both of their struggles being very real. You have one that's that's you know she's she's getting into danger her mother is not very involved in her life she they both are are battling with with drug abuse and then you have cloakkeys he's still kind of caught up on what happened to his brother and he doesn't he doesn't really say it, but the fact that he keeps going back to that police officer kind of shows that he hasn't he hasn't gotten over
0: that. And I also, it didn't get an MVP talk or even like Crab Man because I think the role was too outsized. But the conversation that Tyrone has with his mom also struck me as like a good, honest conversation with a teenager and his mother, especially a black teenager and his mother. Yeah, I think so. I I agree. I think the teen dynamics were solid. And, you know, maybe even not necessarily teen dynamics, but the the parent-child dynamics too. They were interesting. They might have been the most interesting but i mean i think too like that wasn't the point of the show so no it wasn't yeah it was in there
1: and i and i would say that african american mothers are going to probably relate really well with that the fact that you want your son to do everything perfect and even that like even a perfect son you're still really worried every time they leave the house yeah and that i feel is real and probably extremely difficult being white i don't think my parents were were worried as as ty's mom is i mean they they like they were worried that we would do something stupid but not that we're going to get shot by a cop
0: doing the right thing yeah or doing nothing that yeah that was a very good scene
1: and i think we'll come back to this in the dangling threads
0: all right so jimbo it's the moment before the moment we've all been waiting for uh (laughs) jimbo are you gonna watch this
1: hell no dude (laughs) I would not have finished watching this episode. It was just too slow. I I can't imagine myself in any situation where I was like, ah, I, I think I'll keep watching this.
0: I'm going to say not watch. I I could be swayed back. Like, the thing is, if this show ends really strong and it has buzz and people who I like and respect are saying cool things about it, like maybe it's a cool season finale, I could revisit it. But uh, based on this pilot, I'm not going to watch it.
1: Yeah, same. I... I'll, I'll, I'll change my answers slightly. I could see myself coming back to this show if enough people convince me that it's doing something well. But from this pilot, like, no way. Like, I definitely cannot go to that next episode based off of this pilot. And now, listeners, the moment we've all been waiting for. To hoist or not to hoist. And for our new listeners, this is where we're going to cast judgment on this pilot. Drew, I'm ready to cast
0: I want to cast too, but I just want to say this. The reason I'm going to cast is because not that I dislike this show a ton. It's more like so much wasted opportunity, good leads, interesting story, interesting premise, a lot of potential, and boring execution. Jimbo, I am am hoisting this one sadly because... Yeah, I wanted more, so this is a hoist for me. Not because it was bad. I think, like you, I think this is very average and on the boring side, and it could have been a lot better.
1: This is a super strong hoist.
0: There's just really nothing to bring it back. This should have been a 22-minute show, and it would have been a lot better.
1: Cloak and Dagger, hopefully you get some ratings, and you can grow from this because you're you're off to a way better start than buffy and a lot of these other shows that have had a lot of success so maybe so maybe you'll be an icon for for future hoisters
0: yeah as our influence grows so uh jimbo let's get to the quest for the best and for those new listeners um we are ranking all 32 pilots that we have watched for this podcast and you know, we're going to jump into that list right now and assign cloak and dagger a spot. It is a continuous
1: running list that you can always see on our website.
0: Okay. And you can leave comments too. We encourage that. Take a look and let us know how you feel.
1: This is like middle of the road. I feel like pilot, like this, like this would be the line for me, whether it's kind of se- separating pilots in, in into two categories. And I feel like as we maybe mentioned off mic, if not on mic. Or because we've viewed a lot of good pilots, I think this has to be towards the bottom of our list.
0: This is our 32nd pilot. We're not going to put it at 16 because there is a really good pilot at 16. You know, like um, The Crown is a better than average show. It just happens that amongst the show we've ranked, The Crown is in the middle. This is definitely not better than The Crown. Correct. I I would say above Glee... I'm looking below Dawson's Creek above Glee just because I, I can do that. I'm a little bit more into the relationships of Dawson's Creek. And also, just like you said, like there wasn't enough Cloak and Dagger, you know, at least in Dawson's Creek, we see the central relationships right off the bat. There's someone intriguing. And again, Joey Potter is a huge MVP of the podcast, whereas like, yeah, Cloak and Dagger just took too long. So I am very cool with uh, Cloak and Dagger being better than Glee and not as good as Dawson's Creek. Uh, sell me on Cloak & Dagger being better than Glee real quick. Glee has that Journey song, man. Like, I felt something with Glee. It
1: does have that Journey song. I, Me, personally, I just thought Glee was so cheesy, man. And having already seen the first season, the first pilot was not the first season at all. It just came off as really cliche, musical type, and you know, the highs were higher than
0: Cloak & Dagger. Let me ask you this, because here's where my mind goes for both shows. Is the Rachel Berry monologue that is super intense and super weird in the Glee pilot better than Tyrone's conversation with his mom? What's more compelling?
1: Rachel was was my MVP, and I think she was way stronger than anything that we saw in Cloak and Dagger. Then I'd,
0: I'd rather put Glee above Cloak and Dagger in front of Supernatural. Because okay. Supernatural and Firefly are kind of where we get into not great pilots for a reason or two, you know, and I know that you disagree on supernatural. Well, you know, you kind of disagree on glee as well. Hmm. This is, this is a, this is a competent pilot. It's just not great. I found that
1: supernatural was a lot more entertaining to watch than cloak and dagger. Hmm. Supernatural aged. Okay. I mean, also you have like the exposition dumping that, that cloak and dagger didn't have. And you kind of have some, Cheesy storytelling and supernatural. That cloak and dagger didn't really have cheesy storytelling.
0: But I would say supernatural is more fun and moves faster.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it should be above. Yes, yes. But I, I do think cloak and dagger as a pilot should be above supernatural. I agree. So let's slide. I would. I mean, I would put it above Glee. But, but I'll, I'll give it to you because I don't really care that much. You place it it looks it looks like we're definitely between Dawson's Creek and Supernatural.
0: Yeah, I'll put Cloak and Dagger above Glee because Glee's not not a great pilot. Glee's a fine pilot, but if we're if we're making Cloak and Dagger as like our baseline competent pilot, then it's better than Glee, because Glee's got some flaws.
1: I think so. Yeah. I mean, just just basing purely off the pilot, not knowing that season one of Glee is good, I would never even consider watching that second episode based off the pilot.
0: That's fair. And then there, there are issues with the Glee
1: pilot. Hoisters, the pilot for Cloak and Dagger First Light is coming in number 21 below Dawson's Creek and above Glee. And now for our Stormy Daniels Dangling Threads. Mm-hmm. and there's And there's a decent amount to go with here. And we kind of touched
0: on all of it a little bit. I think the one I want to dive back into, which I feel like is a missed opportunity, is... I want to talk about like the drugs and the setting of *Cloak and Dagger*. Just again with a little bit of that um, background, these characters were conceived at the height of the war on drugs.
1: Yeah, I agree. this This is a super missed opportunity. Um, Dagger Dagger's doing drugs. She's she's doing the modern day do- drug problem. But it does it really it really missed from these characters' origins. And I think that like their origin stories that made them an interesting. Superhero duo should have been involved. Like they, I think you should have set them in the eighties. Oh, that's an interesting choice. Or at least, at least the late eighties or the early the early nineties.
0: Let me ask you this, Jimbo. Because like the characters are conceived, and their first major story is about like the dangers of heroin addiction. I think that at this point, man, I feel like the war on drugs is lost. You know, like people are still using drugs. The things that they've used have really just led to disproportionate jailing and sentencing of people of color, specifically black men in our legal system. What would be a more effective or what do you think is an effective messaging strategy? Because what
1: do you mean by by messaging strategy?
0: Well, like it seems like they were making like cartoons and comics and trying to tell you to just say no. It did not seem to work. I think the stigmatization of drug use was ineffective by and large. Did you ever like grow up and see anything that like really was effective or do you think there's an effective message? I'll
1: say, I'll say dare worked for me personally coming from a family that has a decent amount of drug use and even growing up around that for whatever reason, I, I learned in school that drugs were bad and I kind of just knew that. Whereas a lot of my cousins and even my brother did drugs at a really young age for some reason I never did. And I think it had to do with Dare. Now I'm not saying Dare was an effective campaign. I think the the War on Drug verdict is very clear as an unsuccessful campaign, but it worked. It worked on me personally. I I mean I definitely learned that message in school.
0: I just very clearly remember um, my dad and I went to go see Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, which was a theatrical release for the Batman animated series. And it had this intense, like, propaganda is not the right word, but it was just like, these are the worst possible things that could happen to you if you smoke marijuana or do drugs. And it was like, this kid on the street, and like, that scared the shit out of me until college, you know? And then things just kind of wore off. But I don't know, this kind of seems like a big scare tactic type thing. And yeah, like, recreational drug use is still there. And I read a statistic while I was researching this that... Maybe this isn't necessarily a gain, but in recent years, over the last four years, more prescription drugs have killed and led to overdoses for Americans than illegal drugs. And so I don't know, maybe if Cloak and Dagger came out today, um, they'd have a different origin story, not necessarily about heroin, but about opioids.
1: And I think that's what they were trying to go with. But that's that's why I'd, I'd rather place them in the 80s. Keep them keep them as as products of the war on drug the war on drugs because because that because that was their origin story i mean they started off killing drug dealers because they were part of an experiment kind of like like v v for vendetta they were part of an experiment and then that's that's what calls them to action is they want revenge and and that was their first thing like they killed the guy who who did those experiments on them whereas now it's like dagger just kills a guy in self defense and they kind of make this guy you know, like she, she robs this rich guy that happens to be this like predator rapist. To me, like that didn't quite come off well as either. This guy's, he should be pissed off that he got ripped, you know, that, that she robbed him. And then he's going to like rip, pay her back by raping her. I don't know.
0: Yeah. It's some narrative convenience to like keep her the protagonist to make him like awful and shitty. And like mm, using rape as a storytelling device, that, that doesn't sit well. He was the victim
1: from the start, but then they also portrayed him as being overly aggressive and kind of your, like, like poetic justice. Like, look at this guy. He's, like, obviously trying to prey on her. And then, oh, wait, by the way, no, actually, she preyed on him.
0: Yeah, that was some problematic story. That was of. a low point, yeah. <laughs> it was very interesting to look at, like, the idea and the ideology of the war on drugs, like, specifically looking at the Nixon administration who coined the term. Um, They were the ones who decided to move marijuana to a Schedule 1 um, controlled substance, which put it on the same playing field as, like, heroin or cocaine. And as soon as I read that, I was like, I feel like there's that fundamental misunderstanding of, like, this war or this conflict in that you're grouping these things together, which are not the same thing, to, like, accomplish an ideological goal.
1: Yeah, and also, like, cocaine is a rich person drug. And marijuana is a poor person drug. The sentences for cocaine are way lighter compared with the sentences for for marijuana. so it's like a disproportionate sentence for rich person drug versus a poor person drug.
0: Uh, so that was my dangle third. I have one more.
1: And I think we can transition well. I mean, we're, you know, one issue to to another. So the war on drugs obviously kind of was most aggressively waged on people of color. And then we also have another issue that at least the issue is primarily waged towards p- people of color as well.
0: Even though this comic was written in 1982, it includes probably some, like, some Black Lives Matter um, politics because in the original comic, Uh, It's a little bit similar to the pilot episode. Tyrone is hanging out with his friend, and they get stopped by the cops, and they run away. Tyrone in the comic has a stutter, and so he can't tell the police officer that his friend doesn't have a gun or his friend didn't commit a crime, and so the cop shoots his friend in the back. Again, it's a bit similar to the gray area of this police officer shooting him, where it's still a cop shooting an unarmed black kid, but... This was written in 1982, so it's kind of interesting that some things didn't age as well, like the war on drug stuff, but the police violence against people of color was even being talked about in the comics, at least in the 80s, whereas now we're more comfortable talking about police violence in terms of people of color, but there's still a ton of people who hate Colin Kaepernick. What do you think, Jimbo?
1: I thought that was really cool. When I was reading the, the, the original origins, the fact that the character is helpless because of his stutter. I was really disappointed to not see that in the pilot. And, and even, and even like, I think this episode did a really good job of capturing the, the dynamics of a, of police shooting an unarmed person. It wasn't like just a vicious psychopath that killed a black kid for no reason. I mean, you have a suspicious young man with a radio in in his hand and he's running. So, I mean, this is something, you know, and then, There's an explosion in the background that – and the cop kind of reacts poorly and and kills him. And I I feel like that's probably a more accurate representation of most police shootings. It's not necessarily that a cop is out there just trying to kill a black kid. It's more like they're put in a difficult situation and they're not maybe trained in the correct way to handle that situation. I I still feel like police training is more – Military aspect, as far as you know they carry assault rifles and they shoot to kill, and these are things that soldiers are taught and I don't think these are the things that police officers police officers should be taught. I think they should be taught not to shoot instead of to shoot, but I mean that's that's um ingrained in the society, and there is that idea that we kind of talked about last week where like cops take care of each other, and you definitely see that too where they're they're able to cover up this story because a cop made a mistake and you kind of take care of each other.
0: It definitely portrays, it's not a black and white. Well, that portrays words. It's not, Um. it's, it's not an absolute situation. You know, there's a lot of um, factors that come into play, but I think the result is still the same. A young man of color killed. Yeah. Like you're saying, like probably unnecessarily due to training, but also that human error has like huge stakes. Um. And I mean, I understand the extenuating circumstances and I, I do really want to understand like the danger that a police officer feels when they walk up to a car they pulled over because, you know, there's no idea what's inside. There's no idea what's waiting. But I also come back to like examples like Walter Scott in South Carolina. Uh, let me jump in sure. first.
1: So one of my cousins and, and I've kind of mentioned him last yeah. week or a couple weeks ago when we were doing the SVU. He um told me that, you know, when they're training, there's like a famous incident of a cop coming up on like someone they pulled over and it happens to be this like cartel drug dealer. And they like shoot the cop because he's kind of being nonchalant in his task. And that's kind of the thing that they talk about in police training. So you're trained right off the bat that like someone, just because you're pulling someone over for a messed up turn signal or a brake light out, like they can still kill you. It's so, like, that's like, that's what I'm going back to. I guess like with the incorrect training is that you're kind of taught from an early age in your police development, that, that there's all these serious threats and the likelihood of the person that you're pulling over for a traffic violation, having a gun and killing you is like so rare. That's like worst case scenario. And I hate that preparing for the worst case scenario uh, mentality.
0: That tends to be a, like a police officer's job is the worst case. My, my only rejoinder is yes, there are tense circumstances where things can have lots of shades of gray. But I do come back to examples like Walter Scott in South Carolina, and there's the video that the young man was, like, afraid to come forward to see where, you know, after a guy got pulled over and, you know, he was worried about his warrant status, he ran. And then there's just a very clear video of, like, the police officer shooting him in the back as he's running away, and then he took a taser and put it by his hand. And then when he called it in, he said that he thought the guy had a gun. So it's not always like a black, like a shades of gray, like 10 situation. Like there are issues of systemic failure,
1: but I think had that, had that officer been trained differently, I think that situation would have
0: ended a lot better. Yeah. 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 doesn't change the outcome, but at this point, but yes. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting and kind of prescient. And it kind of takes me to my last question, which is there is definitely a, not a flow, but there's a little bit of a movement or a backlash right now going, especially against Marvel comics people pushing back on the idea that comics have become too political, that too many women and too many like uh, characters of color are being forced on us, that they want to return to comics not being political. But it kind of seems to me that like comics have always been political, you know, especially in this instance of so Jimbo, do you believe that comics themselves are inherently political and how political should comics be?
1: I think we can open this up even larger. Like, and just say art. Like, how can art not be political? I think a piece of art that is not political is political in itself. Why? Like the fact that you're making a safe piece of art is a political statement. What would you define as safe? Well, you're saying that that issues don't matter. I mean, uh, a landscape, I guess, or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like just a just some nature. But but even that's political. Like like are you capturing the natural beauty of an area? Like that you could say that that's political in some way towards sustainability or preserving natural area. I mean, I, I just feel like it's how could you not be
0: political? Do you think there's an element of privilege involved in being able to view things impolitically or non-politically?
1: Maybe. Say more. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like. I mean, it's definitely like that's like a seems like the cliche privileged white guy perspective.
0: Somewhat, but I mean, it kind of looks like also this show at least looks at the idea of privilege and perspective as socioeconomic as well as racial, um, because it kind of seemed like um, Dagger had the privilege of being able to go to the club, even though she was very poor, but she was white. And then Cloak's family kind of had maybe the privilege of being middle class and believing in a system, even though Cloak's mom still says that she has those worries. So, I mean, maybe the privilege is in viewing things politically as like standoffish you know as things that aren't personal whereas some people do their politics for their life you know whereas other people kind of vote every four years about like taxes what do you think
1: well well getting back to our original issue what can you can you reframe the uh, the question
0: all right is there room for comics that aren't political in nature and do you believe they exist
1: what's what's an example of a comic that's not political in nature i mean so cloak and dagger definitely is right i mean you have a police shooting of an unarmed black man you know black boy you have drug abuse you have sexual violence i mean there's there's some political issues there like are you like are like are you saying they're not politicized in this in this pilot or are you saying that viewers are going to be like oh, this is bullshit, like, I don't want to see a comic book story about
0: police shootings. Yeah, it's kind of the people who don't want to see a comic book story about police shootings. Maybe a non-political story might be, like, Batman or Spider-Man.
1: I think they're both political stories, man. Batman is fighting corruption of,
0: of the city, of Gotham. Okay, then that's a fair point. I mean, I'm falling on that side. It's just I'm kind of presenting that this is a current event in popular culture, People saying they don't want. And I think what they're pointing towards more is not necessarily like the idea of broad politics, but more like quote unquote identity politics, you know, like feminist or racial issues in comics.
1: I'm pretty annoyed by identity politics for sure. Whereas it's not the issue that's the problem. It's like the person that's presenting the issue that's the problem. I don't read enough comic books because I think comic books in general just are really shitty writing, as we can kind of see with all these comic book superhero stories and movies can you can you think of an overly i guess politicized storyline
0: um there was a very i would have to do a little more research maybe we can link to it but there was a very very famous um image comic book called the united hysteria of america i believe and it was kind of like yeah it was kind of like focusing on islamophobia as a topic and then Dude, nobody knows about this comic. Uh, well, people, people who are into <laughs> comics blogs might, but uh, it got in trouble or it got pulled from shelves because it had a lynching on the cover last year. So, I mean, I think that's an extreme version. Uh, okay. But I think people are also pushing up against like Kamala Khan as Miss Marvel and she's like a Pakistani-American, like Muslim superhero. I don't know. I don't think that's intensely political. I think that's more representative. No, it's not. Well, people hate her. People are like, get this out of my comic book store.
1: The problem is the people that are the loudest about these issues, they're not the majority voices, but because they make such a stink online, are there, I think there's, there's this idea that there's a larger portion of people that, that are really turned off about that. And, and maybe, may, maybe I'm wrong. I kind of tried to look into that issue with, um with the actress that played Rose in the last Jedi, how she kind of got bullied off of, of Instagram from people that just hated the movie. And in, I couldn't even go back and find it in any of the, uh, of the comments because they were, because the actress deleted like everything she had on, on Instagram, which is kind of unfortunate, but you know that she was bullied off of Instagram, but I, I kind of feel like most people don't care, but obviously some people do. And they're just really loud and intense about their yes. And intense. And I, and I feel like it gives you this idea that, that star Wars fans are these like bigots when I kind of don't feel like that's, The truth. Yeah, some are. You're you're always going to find idiots in every single group.
0: I think that there's like a Venn diagram of like intense Twitter people, intense technology people, intense people who are kind of like protective of their things that they care about, like Star Wars being such a niche thing for so long. And then, you know, right around, not necessarily the prequels in the post prequels time, I think that Star Wars became more accessible. And then like, I think that there might be a higher, more higher than average um, community of, like, gatekeepers in, like, the Star Wars community. You know, people who want to question necessarily, like, what are your bona fides? Like, how long have you been a Star Wars fan? Like, are you a real fan? Then necessarily some other ones. But I don't necessarily think that that's toxic. I just think it's kind of counterproductive to fandom. You know, like, people can love what they want to love, but it's a little shitty when people want to question everyone else's, like, qualifications for being a fan. And I think that's more of, like, a Star Wars thing than necessarily other things, but there's gatekeepers in all communities. Star Wars fans might be a little bit more technologically savvy and loud about their fandom back and forth.
1: And back to Miss Marvel, I really wanted to like that character. Like the first time I heard about that character, I thought that's oh, that's so cool. And then I read it and I was like, oh, this kind of sucks. Oh man,
0: I I've read all the <laughs> comics. Um I kind of believe what some people have said. Like it's kind of hard to come up with original characters and stuff. Like, if you think about... Yeah, of course. If you think about, like, who the main characters of, like, Marvel are, it's still Spider-Man, it's still Wolverine, it's still the Iron Man and whatnot. I kind of respect it, because, like, Miss Marvel has been the only character to kind of gain some traction, you know? Like, with a following, or, like, as a mainstay over the past, like, 15 years. Because if you think about it, like, the newest hero with some traction might be Deadpool, you know? Who's still... At this point, almost 23 years old. So I don't know. Like, Miss Marvel has had staying power. And I do own one volume that I really, really liked. Like, that comic has had the ability to tell some, like, nicely grounded, like, young people's stories in today. Whereas, like, Peter Parker kind of can't tell those stories. Like, Volume 7 of Miss Marvel, um, the original run, is a really cool trolling internet story about cyberbullying.
1: Maybe I should go to that. Because the first volume was just, like, I think I read Volume Uh 1 and 2. I, I actually bought some, some of the comics because I, I heard someone talking about it and I was really interested and then I was just I read them and I was like,
0: uh I liked volume one through four as a nice contained run. And then when it came back from a big Marvel events crossover, I came off it for a while, but volume seven I thought was such a good grounded story for today's youth that a lot of other superheroes couldn't tell that I was like, this is a nice niche for this character to have. And it was cool representation too. Like forty-six percent of people who buy comics are like women. So, and then that, that gap is closing quickly too. To kind of go back with like last week's topic about the
1: stories we want from Batman or new stories, to be honest, like I would just prefer to not read superhero stuff. There's just an inherent shitty writing that kind of
0: comes with superhero stories. Well, I, I meant to mention this last week too. Like when we talked about cool calls to action Um, or good ones that we like. I think that, like, Miss Marvel herself, like Kamala Khan, really likes superheroes, you know, and just really thinks that they're cool. And, like, I think that there's also, like, a run of, like, Wally West Flash in the 90s where, like, they enjoy being superheroes and they enjoy helping people. And, like, that is a such... I don't necessarily see that call to action being called like used often, and so I kind of dig it. You know, like it's refreshing. It's not depressing. It's not like grim and gritty and tragic. And just like you said, like cloak and dagger encompass like, like triumvirate of like tired cliched archetypes to create you know a compelling superhero protagonist. Whereas like Miss Marvel is really psyched to be a superhero, and like I think one part of like the series that I like is she always geeks out whenever she meets people, and I'm like that's interesting.
1: That's cool, and especially if you're trying to attract a younger, more diverse audience. Like that's Miss Marvel is definitely going to hit with a lot of young women and young girls who are fans of superheroes. So,
0: yeah,
1: you know let's let's maybe dangle one okay. more issue. Yeah, why not? And we're already kind of talking about it as far as the origin stories, and we talked about this a little a little bit as well. What um, what's your thoughts on like origin stories being changed? Film versus book, maybe related or not related
0: to this. I think that it's hard because I talked about that um, reversal of creative powers between a comic book and a television series or a movie, whereas like a comic book can really do things at a relatively low budget. You know, like you got to pay for pen, ink, artists and production, whereas like to do those really big set pieces like, you know, Infinity War costs hundreds of millions of dollars to have, like, five major battles and five major set pieces in two hours and 40 minutes. So I think it's difficult, and I think that a lot of choices that are made are more akin to budget than necessarily storytelling. But I I get what you're saying. Like, they made changes, and not all of them were good. You know, we talked about this as well with Punisher
1: a few weeks back. Jacob was kind of like, he, he likes Punisher being from Vietnam because that's that's what created him, which, you know, and I definitely agree, like, but then the new series puts them in Afghanistan, and it kind of works, whereas with the origin story for, for Cloak and Dagger, like, I really like the fact that they're products of the war on drugs, as we already mentioned, and now taking them out of that, yeah, the Black Lives Matters, like, police shootings is kind of playing a bigger role, and then they're obviously going to work in some weird conspiracy. For this one, like, I'd really like to just have them be
0: anti-drug movement. It it would be much more interesting in this day and age to examine that. And I think they have room in the show to look at daggers like pill addiction, whatever that is, probably opioids. The drug connection being part of their origin is lacking. And so it's not going to be that big of a part. I think Roxxon Corporation, which is in the Marvel comics, is going to be it. And it's going to be more like environmental espionage and things like that, which, eh. It's just not as interesting to me.
1: Yeah, so let's let's do snap judgment. Um, Yay or nay on accurate origin stories being represented in the
0: retelling of film. I say nay. I'm with you. I say nay just because I think the MCU is excelling because they're taking the spirit of characters and they're telling semi-new stories. I don't think that they are being so slavish to the um, original source material that they're sacrificing quality. They're just kind of starting there with the essence of the characters, the DCEU, like the DC um, movie universe, I think is like trying way too hard to capture these iconic moments and to like translate them to screen. Whereas what they should do is just take the essence of the characters. So I, I would hard disagree that you need to be um, really, really devoted to the source material um, because I think that especially in movies, you need to like tell your own stories
1: now, with cloak and dagger, though they're not big names. I would say, why not just make different characters like they're pulling on these characters that weren 't even popular in in the eighties. I mean, they had their own run, and i'd never heard of these people until last night when we decided to pop this show in spontaneously. Both
0: articles I read about Cloak & Dagger mentioned that the best Cloak & Dagger comics are not from the Cloak & Dagger series. That they're like crossovers with the New Mutants. That they're like the Spider-Man story. So yeah, I definitely agree. I think that they could have served them somewhere. But I also think that you're looking at the financial landscape and you're looking at like what licenses are up and what licenses are there. And so I think that maybe Freeform, ABC, Disney looked at what was available and what was cheap. And they're young. They're teens. It's a diverse cast. They have some history. So maybe comic book fans will be pulled in. I definitely understand why Cloak and Dagger maybe got pushed to the front of the line just because there's a lot of potential. And we talked about that. The potential is unfulfilled.
1: Why? Why not just have a character that's a product of police shooting and another character that's a product of opioid and alcoholism and kind of being like a street kid? And you can stick them in the Marvel Universe. In fact, you, you can have them run into Daredevil or or Punisher, invertly somehow, in that pilot and bring in another audience as well. I don't
0: know. That's compelling. I mean, I would just say because maybe there is some kind of built-in audience with Cloak and Dagger. You know, like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, I don't know. I don't have numbers in front of me. But it kind of feels like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was that. Like, let's make a show where they exist within the universe, but they're not really characters we have a history with. And occasionally they'll run, they'll run into people. I know it got five seasons, but I don't think Agents of Shield was as wildly successful as people perceive that it might be. I've never seen it, so I can't say anything.
1: All right, well that's that's my standpoint. I would have preferred them to just make make up new characters, and they could have had a similar dynamic. I mean, I mean, they could have had a cloak and dagger dynamic. And moving on, back by popular demand, petard trivia. And so now, joining us, we have special guest returning to the Pilots and Petards. Magician Kier Gomes is going to challenge the number one contender on Pilots and Petards, Drew. Woo! Two and one. To see who will be taking a shot at Zan in the future. Drew's buzzer is gonna go like this, buzz. And Kier's buzzer is gonna go like this,
2: buzz. Similar sounds. Yeah, those are almost the same. Okay, we'll uh, figure figure out. Actually, yeah, so this is gonna work out. I, I I did a Drew impression. This way I get the I get the answer both times.
1: That would make it seem like I would get the answer both times. Yeah,
2: that's I disagree. that's a
1: that, that's a poor strategy. But that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Question number one. Okay, there's only one right answer, and after the first person buzz in, the other person will get a chance to give a different answer. What company did Tandy's father work for? Buzz, Drew. buzz.
0: Was a... Roxanne was corporation that is
1: correct first point we'll go to drew so we have one zero lead is in drew now for question number two i will take the best answer for this one <laughs> the first time
2: it's like an opinion based okay sorry. Go ahead. you never know
1: the first time the first time ty teleports where is he teleported
2: buzz. To? Ah. Okay, here was the first to buzz in god damn it the roof of roxon
0: corporation drew do you have a different answer uh, I believe the first time he teleports is when he's in the water and he goes down and his hand goes through the roof of the car to grab Tandy's hand the night of the accident.
1: All right. I'm giving the answer to cure. I think the first time he teleported was when he ends up on the roof of the rocks on corporation. He didn't teleport in the water. He
0: dove in after his brother. How does, wait, how does his hand get through the metal into the car where Tandy is? And how do they end up on the beach? Cause he's sinking and she's in a car. Wow.
1: Huh? I think they're washed up in short. There's there's no evidence to us. Uh, How does he
0: get her out of a metal car? <laughs> then that would be the first time that Tandy teleports. They both teleport. Hmm. She has a light blade. When does she teleport in that show? I think
1: they're washed up, man. But uh,
0: I think you're washed up, man.
2: <laughs> it's difficult because to me, the first time you see him teleport is to the, the roof of Roxxon Corp. But the first implied teleportation would be from the water mm. to the beach. I'm gonna go with the facts. You see him teleport to the roof of Roxon. I'm gonna say that's my, my answer. Yeah, that's
1: that's that's what I believe is the, the correct answer. And since I'm the judge, jury,
0: got got some atheists over here. No faith. <laughs> you got to see to believe it. That's fine. That's a that's gonna be a point to cure. Apparently, I'm the agnostic hoister.
1: Listeners, if you're if you're out there, you can go ahead and give us some feedback. In case we come to this this situation again, then we can try and. Uh, solve solve the problem so we have a 1-1 one, one, okay we have we mm-hmm. have a 1-1 a one, mm-hmm. one draw here all right for question number three the closest answer will get the point when ty's family goes to the police station the police have a videotape of him shoplifting buzz
2: go answer. ahead
1: sir you're the first answer
2: stealing a radio from alexis
1: that's a terrible answer keep going can you hear the question? Yeah, definitely. So,
0: <laughs> I'm a veteran. You felt how point. ready I
2: was. I was so prepared.
0: I've learned really well not to buzz early. You're not the first to do this. I was the first to do this. So, okay. The
1: police officer <laughs> takes out a tape, and on that tape, it says the date. What is the date?
0: Closest guess the answer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I I would choose a date, Drew.
0: I I am choosing a date. I'm not I'm not choosing the item that was stolen in the make of the car. I'm gonna say buzz. Yep. Yo. Oh, you you already buzzed my. You friend. already buzzed um, and gave yeah. an answer. I think I, I think I have an answer. Let's go, let's go with that. March eighth, nineteen ninety seven. I think it's closest. Yeah, that's definitely
1: closest. The correct date is seventeen April two thousand seven at seven twenty p.m. I'm I'm within ten years. You sure are. That's not bad. Yep. Cures not even. I have no idea where Cures within. All right. I wish I would have gave him the uh, Adam Sandler, I mean the Billy Madison response.
2: The <laughs> <laughs> bull wrong would have been just fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, lesson learned though. Lesson Drew learned. has
1: Drew has reclaimed the lead. Question number four. On the premiere night, Thursday, June seventh, twenty eighteen, where did Cloak and Dagger place among the top fifty original cable telecasts? That's not including time stations mm. go ahead
0: drew 21st
1: okay this will be closest answer will win cure do you want to throw an answer out there 33rd unfortunately the correct answer is eight and drew's taking that point <sighs>
0: why do eight? you say unfortunately wow. dude we work together this is our podcast oh yeah sorry sorry Bias. Okay. podcast is thicker than blood it, oh yeah
1: it sure is it sure is <laughs> i well i meant unfortunately for for a uh, cure
0: for me
2: yeah okay
1: that gives Drew a 3-1 lead. Let's do the, last, let's do the rest of the questions, let's, man. Let's do the, let's the, last, do the last one. one. Drew, yeah. are are you willing to put two points on this next question?
0: No, I won. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you're asking me if I want to put two points in it, my answer is no. Um, but
1: I feel like it's the right thing to do.
2: Why? <laughs> why Did
0: you only come up with four <laughs> questions? Is that... No, the we, have, the we have five. five. I, don't, I don't think it's the right thing to do, Jimbo. Maybe it's the thing you want to do. But I'm not sure that it's the right thing to do. All right, that's fine.
1: Okay, last last question. Two points. <laughs> Worth two points. <laughs> Mark Isham, the composer for the music of Cloak and Dagger. And you might recognize Mark Isham from some of his other work as composing in movies such as Time Cop and Point Break.
2: <laughs> the good Point Break or the remake of Point Break? The good Point Break. Okay. Yeah. Cool.
1: Now, what other Marvel comic movie did Mark Isham compose? Mm. Buzz. Drew, you're first to buzz in. I'm going to say, did you say Marvel comic movie or MCU movie? Marvel comic movie.
0: Okay. I want to say X-Men
2: 2000.
1: All right. That's a good guess. Kier, do you have a different answer?
2: I'm going to say Daredevil. Ooh.
1: Yeah. You know what? You're both wrong.
2: Okay.
0: Two <laughs> points for no one.
1: Yep, so two points for no one. He composed the music for Blade. Oh. I forgot I was going to cheat so Cure could get that answer right, but I, I let him answer before I had to, you know, the... Yeah, before,
0: you're, for, before you could do the right thing.
2: Yeah, before I could
1: do the Wait, right
0: Wait, how thing. are you going to cheat? Or are you He's just made me a, <laughs> a fucking
1: hint. Yeah, I was going to tell you I'd recommend a, a, a vampire movie. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I probably still would have got it you wrong. Said, you no, said, no, I yeah, there's three. no
1: other vampire movies to choose from. <laughs> what if he said
2: Blade Two, I, mean, I guess you could say like <laughs> yeah, I was Under like Blade Trinity. Oh,
1: that's true. You could say yeah. Underworld or something too, like that. Like that. a Marvel bad movie. Well,
0: that's not a Marvel movie. I know
1: that would be a bad answer.
0: Yeah. Oh well. Jimbo, do you want to throw? Do you want to throw out the tiebreaker question just for fun? You researched it. You wrote it. Not for two points, but for shits and giggles.
1: Okay. Well, the tiebreaker question was going to kind of go back to the ratings. So, including DVR. How many people tuned in to either record or watch the pilot episode first light for Cloak and Dagger?
0: Hey, question, does that include pilots and petards people? What? Um, it's a joke, because there's three yeah, of us, okay. but we're talking about yeah. millions. It did not yeah, hit millions. Well. Thanks for laughing, here. Buzz. <laughs> yeah. If you were within three people, that would have been amazing. I, I would have added or subtracted three people.
1: Okay, so yeah. give give your answer to in the, in give your answer in millions to the to the nearest tenth of a million. So, for instance, if you think half a million, you'd say 0.5. If you think 5 million, you would say 5.
0: This show was on Freeform, Buzz. I believe it's 3.1-ish. Maybe I should have done less. Make mine
1: 2.4. What is your answer, Drew? 2.4. Kier, you, would you like to give Shit, a different answer?
0: I'm
2: going to say, yeah, it is on Freeform. But you know what? Um, We're including... Streaming services and DVR. No, no, no. Just we're only DVR.
1: including viewing it on air and DVR,
2: and on DVR. Um, then I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say 1.5. Right.
1: right. Yep. The correct answer is 1.75. So, ah, uh, I should
0: have 1.
2: Wow, eight. Drew, you were in there with yeah, 1.8. Yeah. Wow. No. If you
1: if you count streaming, I didn't write down the exact number, but the the streaming data was was pretty decent as well. And, and um actually, the second episode played right after the first episode, and the second episode had pretty decent ratings as well, I mean, considering. So First Light was number eight on the top 50, Suicide Sprints, which was the second episode, was 17 dumb on name. the top 50.
2: I agree. It was the punishment for, uh, did you guys watch any more of the episodes? No.
0: Hey, curiosity, hoist or not hoist?
2: Uh, well, so it's funny. I was just talking to my wife about this. Uh, I wouldn't hoist it, but I had so many, I had way more low than high points with the pilot. It sounds, Actually, it sounds like a low hoist point to me. Start, well, maybe, but also I did watch, uh, four more episodes. Oh, whoa. Uh, whoa. That so
0: that's a, that's a oh, you caught that's up. That's not hoist.
2: Yeah, and let me tell you this actually it gets worse oh. for me Ooh. as it goes. So, yeah,
0: if you guys yeah. haven't
2: yet, I would recommend not. It just it gets it takes I'll say this, spoiler alert. I'm, I'm 5 episodes watch. in and they you still haven't.
0: They're fucking 5 episodes in and they aren't hanging out together yet.
2: They're not well at the end of at the end of episode 4, they decide that they need to that they need to talk about uh everything and season five they're still not sure how to make it work mean, uh, or, uh, episode, episode five. five
1: that's complete bullshit what the fuck? Yeah, oh yeah
2: it's taking way too long
1: oh yeah sorry sorry hoisters i'm i'm gonna have to cut cut this short if you guys want to continue feel free but um i have some company over tonight oh and thank you kier gomes for coming on and uh putting, hey, thanks, putting up a valiant effort <laughs> of plug, course. Thanks, plug something kier plug
2: Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search Keir Gomes Magic, and uh, like, subscribe, and leave comments. He
1: has he has some very fun videos. A lot of them, actually, a lot more. Uh, they just show up all the time. He doesn't tell anyone about it, so
2: <laughs> I you, do have weekly sub- uploads. you have to you have
1: to. Oh, is it weekly now?
2: Okay. Yeah, two a week.
1: Thanks a lot, G. Now, if you, if you have a headset, you know we, we can always keep keep you
2: on our sub list, man. Yes, please do.
1: Listeners and now for Petardar. For anyone new to the show, Petardar is recommendations based off of anything we thought of while watching Cloak and Dagger. And to start off, I'm gonna recommend End of the Effing World. If you if you haven't seen that yet, I think I like that Star Crossed Lovers storyline way better than Cloak and Dagger.
0: They they get to it faster. Like within the first episode, yeah, like it's going down. And it's a twenty two minutes it's a twenty two minute episode too.
1: Yeah, I would have liked to see Cloak and Dagger been a little bit more like
0: Romeo and Juliet. Shakespeare, Petards. Okay. Um, so, my Petardar this week, I'm going to recommend that Miss Marvel Volume 7 trade paperback. That's the one with the um, troll on it, the uh, the cyberbullying um, storyline. It's very cool. I am, I'm going to try to order that for my students next year. And then, um, this is a way back throwback on Petardar. Uh, there is this special called All-Star Cartoon Say No to Drug Special. And, like, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Muppet Babies and Bugs Bunny and Garfield all got together on this one special and told kids not to do drugs. And this guy's, like, reefer um, guy comes out. And it's, like, a sleazy Vegas bro who's, like, do some drugs. Give them to your little brother. It's okay. No one will get hurt. And then... In 30 minutes, they find out that, yes, drugs will hurt you. It's on YouTube. It is real weird. Jimbo, by the look on your face, I feel like you either remember it or you're going to go find it.
1: I have no idea. I actually don't care that much, but it, sound, it sounds it interesting. It is interesting. Um, Ian <laughs> and
0: I watched it in the Shamoyu office because that place was air-conditioned, and it had internet, and people used to sleep in there.
1: Yeah, kind of, yeah, you weren't allowed to, but you yeah. yeah, get away with it. Oh, well.
0: Cool. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that
1: about wraps up the show. Next week, I think we're actually gonna to get to Dexter. Okay, the much the much anticipated Dexter. Thank you to the magician cure Gomes for, for recommending and giving us a thoughtful review. Our official closing music is an instrumental by Entheos. Our intro outro music was mixed by Jake Drew. You can find us all over the internet, Twitter instagram facebook website website especially yep join our website follow our blog and you can participate in our pre-recording discussions also any artists out there still listening if you want to give us an instrumental sample we'll play it at the end of our show and we'll and we'll promote you if anyone else wants to make create a little maybe image for us for any of our shows we will definitely promote that and advertise you so we are willing to cross-promote with some other artists out there i i think it'd be cool to have some some original art for each of our blog posts and just new music all, all the time as well so
0: holla yep and if you are at all interested in my thoughts on pre-2008 superhero movies i am writing some reviews at but why though you can go check those out i did spawn i did daredevil and coming up next x3 x-men the last stand That should be a big-time hoist. (laughs) Uh, yes. Uh, I feel like, at this point, I've been very kind and generous to Daredevil and Spawn. Oh my god, dude. X-Men 3 is fucking garbage. Oh, I hated that
1: movie. I think that might have been, like, one of the most disappointed I ever walked out out of the
0: movie theater. Yeah, um, everyone who was surprised by X-Men Origins Wolverine kind of sucking, you should not have been surprised, because X-Men The Last (laughs) Stand laid a very solid foundation of suckage. And uh, I'm getting ready to write this up, and I'm not allowed to cuss on my on my on my blog post, so I got to figure out how can I express myself.
1: That's probably the reason I like the Wolverine origin so much. Just because you had to like the last like taste in your mouth was X was X three or whatever X Men three.
0: Oh, the 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 seeds are planted for Logan slash Wolverine not being very good as a character, being kind of annoying, not really being the Wolverine we want, and Hugh Jackman just blowing up and them changing all of their choices. Man, Cyclops dies off screen. That is so shitty.
1: <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's the best. That's the only good part of that movie.
0: <laughs> that's the annoying part of that movie. Uh, all right, listeners. Yeah.
1: If you can't tell by the music, this show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to stick around for a couple more minutes. And I have at least one thing to share. Drew, do you have have any other defense of of Cyclops?
0: No, but uh, The Last Jedi came on Netflix today, so guess what I'm doing tonight? Go ahead, Jimbo.
1: That's, That's too bad. Well, anyways, hopefully you'll finally see the light, okay? For those of you following my life via podcast... So last time I I had I had been married, and it's been a while since we recorded a new episode. So Miss Nomulus went into labor a couple weeks ago now, and she didn't even know. You know, she's just we're just chilling at the house, ha- having dinner, and all of a sudden Miss Nomulus is like, uh, "I think my water broke," and I was like, "Nah, dude, we weren't quite sure if maybe she just kind of like accidentally peed or something, or if the water <laughs> broke." And so it was it was kind of weird. And then eventually, you know, we just came to the conclusion, like, you just need to call your doctor. And she kind of, for some reason, was a little reluctant to. And I was like, just call the doctor. Like, there's, like, no cost in calling the doctor. And so we called the doctor. And then the the resident took some notes and said they'd call us back. And then he called us back and, like, did some follow-up questions. Kind of made it sound like she didn't break her water just over the, the phone conversation. He was like, but, you know, I need to call the this your doctor just to make sure. And so they call back again. He's like, you know what, uh, you you need to come in. You, you know, we'll just take some precautionary measures. And this is like maybe 11 o'clock or close to midnight by now. And so I'm supposed to go to work the next day. I just had my, you know, my two days off. She has a big test on Friday. This is Wednesday night. So we go to the hospital, you know, we packed up some things because we realized we didn't even have a a bag pack to go to the hospital. Like we're like, we're still almost four weeks out from the, from the due date. So we're like three and a half weeks out from, from the due date. We have no bags packed. We're like unprepared. So I go and I I start doing a little research and I kind of come to the conclusion that we should have a bag pack. So we pack up a bag for Helen and, and the baby, and we go to the hospital. Now, I'm not packed for myself at all. Like, I'm assuming we're coming back home in like an hour. We get to the hospital. They run some tests. Next thing you know, dude, it's like 2 or 3 in the morning, and Helen's in labor. Miss Nomalus is in labor, dude, just unknowingly. The, you know, this is the woman that went 20 weeks without knowing she was pregnant. And, of course, she's now she's been in labor for a few hours without knowing as well. Like, the doctors are like, are you having contractions? And she's like, no. And they're like, "Yeah, you're having contractions." <laughs> like, <and> like <laughs> so finally the uh, contractions start start getting bigger. They hit her. It starts really pressing me to go find the uh, the epidural yeah, guy. Yeah, did you get the epidural? Definitely. Yeah. For, good any, job. for anyone there that's on that, that's on the fence about having giving birth at the hospital versus at home and doing a drug or not doing a drug, the doctors will tell you there's no evidence that the epidural has any effects on the baby. It makes it a lot more convenient. And you know what? Being at the hospital is really awesome. There's a lot of other things about labor that, that most people don't know. And it's just nice being at the hospital and having just an abundance of nurses that take care of babies and pregnant women and women that just gave birth for a living. So all so all those are positives that I would recommend. But yeah, so like Miss Nomalist starts getting a little grumpy, you know, starts using some foul language. Oh, sends me out of the room to go f- drag this guy in and I'm like what the hell dude this this hospital is a ginormous hospital I have no idea where to go all I know is that I need to find this guy quick or like I'm, I'm gonna be in, you know thrown out with him and uh, luckily I go outside the guy's like on his way once that epidural hit dude she was just gold man she was high as a kite she was loving life again <sighs> once she started pushing the baby came out in like 20 minutes dude it was like the most remarkable thing I you know I could not believe how how quick and kind of from my point of view, how convenient it all went. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. You know, I was telling everyone at the hospital, yeah, dude, this pregnancy thing's (sighs) cakewalk, man. You don't even know until you're halfway done. And then it just kind of happens one night while you're eating dinner. And long story short, healthy baby came out. Grandma Nomalus was probably the happiest person there. Little Nomalus is at the house, dude. She's cool. She sleeps a lot.
0: Makes little grunting sounds.
1: Oh yeah, she has she has some really cute grunt, grunting sounds. Hates getting her diaper changed, dude. This little kid loses her freaking mind every time you he set her down to change her diaper, dude. You take that little velcro diaper thing off, and if you you think she was being brutally tortured.
0: Fun fact: Tori's epidural didn't take. Wore off on half Ooh. her body. Yep. Yeah, that's. Oh man, that's. Happens. Yep, but the yeah, hospital's a wondrous place and you go and then all of a sudden like it's it's slow and it's fast and it's intense
1: my sister is also pregnant and she's considering staying at home where she's not sure she definitely doesn't want an epidural she doesn't want to be at the hospital and i was like dude stay at the hospital as long as it'll take you man like
0: it's nice being at the hospital but oh that's what we did we stayed uh two and a half full days because our insurance yeah. was like that and then just like yeah let's keep staying you know and then
1: so convenient especially if you have rugs at the house dude if you have rugs at your house dude stay as long as they'll as you know as they'll let you
0: what's the deal with rugs it's
1: just messy man yeah. all the messes fair yeah fair fair or put down like paint like pretend like you're painting your house <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh,
1: insight all right well every day we in, jimbo out
0: every day we hoistlin drew out
1: Magical Miss Mo if you're out there, holla.